leading us. And I want to also say a special thank you to all of you who are Patriots and Chiefs fans. I know that this is a self-sacrifice for you to be here. And that you know exactly that Jesus is more important than football. This is a game that we will probably not remember. Especially if the Patriots win. Because we're all tired of hearing about the Patriots winning. (laughs) Except for Patriots fans, that is. Uh, but I'm really grateful that we get the chance to be together here. And I know, I know it was it was said a lot about yesterday that uh, I'm just really proud of our church. This is Scott's little chapel shot that he got of everybody. That rhymed a lot. Haha, I did it again. Um, and this is minus I think most of the breakfast team. But we had we had one of the oh you just one. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I'm gonna use this one. Uh, I, I just was really proud of our church. I know this isn't this isn't for pats on the back or anything like that. That, but uh, but I do want to do a special thank you to Dwayne. I know Dwayne did so much of the legwork, getting this ready and doing walkthroughs and sending out emails, putting together the groups. Uh, he's done a lot of work. I know Jessica helped him a lot as well. Uh, but guys, I just I just was really proud of our group yesterday, and I feel like it's such a such a proper way to start the year uh, in, in serving other people. That really reminder that, that, that in loving Jesus, that means we've got to love other people. And it's not about us. And, uh, and even, it's, it's a great start of our, of our focus this year. Did I do a... One? Nope. Okay. Oh, another way. Other way. Um, the focus uh, of our year, and even the kind of the little series that we're going to start off with, is a, is a focus on greater love. And there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this. You know, Scott referenced it at midweek. Greater love is knowing than this. He laid down his life for his friends. Uh, that really, to, to love like Jesus is greater love. And this is something, man, when I think of the things that I want to be known for in my life, I want to be known for someone who serves. Not for attention and recognition, but just because I, I want to love people. I want that, when I think about the things I want our church to be known for. You know, more than, more than maybe how great our singers are, or how awesome our services are. I, I, I want us to be known as people who love like Jesus and who serve like Jesus. And there's really, there's nothing better I can think of than reflecting that kind of love where we live. And as, uh, as the year has started here, I've been really trying to do some, some soul searching uh, in this concept of imitating and loving Jesus. And anyone who's a disciple of Jesus, we all know the short, short definition of a disciple of Jesus is someone who imitates the life and the love of Jesus, right? If any of you guys are disciples of Jesus, you know that you're supposed to be like him. That's not new information to you. But I started asking myself a question. I started asking myself a question about what does it mean to me? Oh, go back. That one. What does it mean to imitate Jesus? When I think about all the things about Jesus that I want to imitate, what do I want to imitate that's like Jesus? And I want to open that up for a minute here. I don't, I don't do it all that often, but I want to get some hands. When you think of this question, what does it mean to you to imitate Jesus? What do you want to imitate? Okay, compassion. Forgiveness. Humility. Sacrifice. Fearful. We, Fearlessness. Is that what you're saying? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Fearfulness of God, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Patience. Okay, right here. 
Okay, love God, love your neighbors. We'll get to that. Faithfulness. Conviction. Chevy, last one. Okay, total obedience towards God. You know, I, 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 was, I was chewing on this question a lot at the end of the last year. And uh, what comes to mind for me is, is a lot of things that you guys mentioned. But specifically, I, I thought of all the things that Jesus did to express love to other people. Amen? Like we were talking about. But there was something that was a little bit embarrassing to me. What was embarrassing to me was that what didn't come up very much when I thought about imitating Jesus was all that Jesus did to love God. I thought a lot about all the things that he did to love other people. But the things, the qualities that came to mind, when I think, man, as a disciple of Jesus, what are the things I want to imitate? What didn't come up very much was how much Jesus loved God. And after 17 years as a disciple of Jesus, that was kind of a punch in the gut to realize. And, and actually, and this isn't in, a, in a, any condemnation of anybody, but even when you think about the qualities that we mentioned, a lot of them had to do with the love of other people, which is great, that's good, that's part of it. But when you think about who Jesus was, he was somebody that loved God in the perfect way. And the more that I was thinking about this and praying about this, I realized that part of why I think I dismissed a lot of Jesus' walk with God is because he's God in the flesh. Right? There's a logical conclusion there. Of course he speaks only what the Father commanded him, like he says. Is that this? Okay. Because he and God are one. They're one and the same. So, of course, he's speaking what God wanted. Of course, you know, when, when Jesus was talking to his, his disciples in John 14, he says, he says, guys, don't you get it? Philip, Thomas, when you see me, you see God. God and I are one, you know, one and the same. But what I missed, and I started seeing, I started reading, I mentioned this, I started reading the book, An Unhurried Life. And I know a lot of the women in here started reading it last fall when you were going through it. But I also, along with that, started reading through the Gospels again. And what, it, what started to strike me as I was going through these things is how much time Jesus spent walking with God. Enjoying time with God. Seeking God's wisdom. Crying out to God. And what I started to see with this is, yeah, he was able to speak the words of God because he was God in the flesh. But I think even if he wasn't God in the flesh... Even if there wasn't this metaphysical connection that we can't totally explain and understand, he was able to speak the words of God because he spent so much time with him. He was intimately walking with his father. He was constantly praying. You know, if you look up the word withdrew, just that word in the Gospels and when it shows up, Jesus withdrew a lot. There would be needs, there would be people, and instead of, instead of going to what the work was at hand, it said that he would withdraw to lonely places, to solitary places, to go and be with God. Even in our world, we would look at that and go, man, he's ditching out on work. No, he was doing that because he knew that that's where everything came from. He wouldn't pull away for vacations. Or brainless time, like we do now. And I think about the, 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 when I withdraw, what I tend to do when I withdraw 
It's very selfish, usually. And if you're being honest with yourself, so is yours. So, hey, don't point the finger. But he wasn't doing that. He withdrew to go be with God. And in Mark 12, I know it got referenced. Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees. This is one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? It's a good question, right? When you think about all the things that Jesus or that God said in the Old Testament, what's most important? And I know most of us can quote this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And I know this is a scripture that, that many of you have this down. It's, it's, you, could quote, you could quote it very, very simply and very easily. But upon reading it some more, there's something that jumped out at me. These commandments have a very symbiotic relationship to each other. You can't truly love your neighbor as yourself unless you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Have you ever tried it? It doesn't work very well. It takes one fight with your spouse to realize, I can't love my wife as I love myself unless I'm loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But on the flip side of that, when I'm loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I will love other people. Because that connects me with the heart of God and the heart of Jesus. And there's no way you can say you're walking with God and with Jesus unless you're loving other people. Because that's what they were all about. And considering the life of Jesus, he did so much to love people. But it came out of a deep love and devotion to God. That connected him to the heart of his father. And this is so easy to lose sight of. If you notice here, when describing the greatest commandment, Jesus does not say, love the Lord your God by reading a chapter a day, praying for 15 to 30 minutes, doing your you version scripture of the day, or any kind of arbitrary measurement of a quiet time. And so easily, that's how we reduce our relationship with God. Like if I asked you, if we, if we were in the fellowship afterwards and we were asking each other, how's your relationship with God doing? That's probably what we would normally spout out to each other. That's not, I don't want anybody to feel condemned or weird about that answer. But I want us to think about this for a second. You know, we, we go to our relationship with God and go, okay, did I have a quiet time today? How many did I have this week? How much did I read my Bible and pray? I don't want us to imagine for a moment that we viewed our other relationships in life like that. Spouses. You know, we spent 20 minutes at dinner and 90 minutes at a movie, so today was probably a good date. We can laugh. It, this is lighthearted, okay? Think. It's okay. <laughs> Parents. Well, you know, I only played with my kids, but we didn't quite have a devotional. We only had a devotional, but we didn't, we didn't really play together as my kids, so... Our time with our kids probably wasn't that great. You know, in our friendships, you know, we texted for a few minutes in the morning. So, yeah, I'd say we spent some time together today. (laughs) 
And I want you to think of how many times you've told yourself, I want to get deeper with my relationship with God. How many times that that was your goal at the beginning of the year? This, this, this amorphous deeper, whatever deeper is. Or maybe even you've gotten lost in the cycle of need. This is something that hit me recently, that hit me at the end of last year. The cycle of need is, life has gone into a crisis, and I realize I can't do this on my own, so I must go to God. Because I'm in trouble, I know that I can't do this on my own, I need help, I'm going to go to God. And then when things start getting better, my time with God isn't as significant or important. Until the next crisis, and then I really need God again, spending more time in prayer, doing some more fasting, and just getting stuck in this cycle of crazy. My hope for today and for this year, for myself and for, and for all of us here, is that you will want to walk with God. That you will want to enjoy God. Not just read your Bible and pray more. I've been laboring, I've been praying about this, this lesson today. And what, what my deepest fear is, is that you guys are going to leave this sermon and what you're going to hear is I need to read my Bible and pray more. Stop it! That's not what I'm trying to get to. And really a lot of this is when we think about serving other people, I believe when we are doing this, when we are walking with God, when we're enjoying our relationship with God, we're going to be able to show the greater love of Jesus. But we've got to start with our love for God. Our title today, if you need a title, Greater Love Equals the Greatest Commandments. Let's say a word of prayer. God, I want to thank you so much for the time that we have to be here together. I really want to pray for our hearts to engage with you. I pray, Father, that you will move out the distractions. I pray, God, that that, that you will help us as we consider our relationship with you to really dive deeper than just superficial things or some time frame that we think is going to is going to help us to be deeper or whatever, God. And I just pray, God, that we will walk with you deeply. Please use this time. Use me as I, as I preach your word. We love you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn your Bible over to Psalm 73. We're going to study out one chapter of the Bible today, so we're going to be here the whole time. And we're looking at someone who is really battling with this concept of walking with God. He is struggling to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this psalm, Psalm 73, was written by a guy named Asaph. It falsely gets attributed to David. It wasn't him. David didn't write all the psalms. It was a lot of other people's. Asaph wrote like 13 or 12, something like that. But I want to give a little background to this guy real quick before we dive into what he wrote. Asaph was one of three Levitical priests that lived during David's time. He served during David's time. He was the chief priest, and it says in First Chronicles, he actually ministered before the ark. So it was kind of like, think, like the first person to do that was Aaron. And now Asaph was the one that was doing it for his time. He was a worship leader. David chose him and these other guys to be the song leaders. He was a poet. He was a singer. He wrote songs. That actually, this, this song, the song that we're reading is a song. It was meant to be put to music. He was somewhere between 25 to 50 years old, and he was a priest. So just imagine for yourself, for a moment, what a day in the life of Asaph would have looked like. Okay? 
you're a priest, you're a worship leader. You know, the Levites, it says in the Old Testament, God specifically wanted the Israelites to save some of their offerings for the Levites so that they wouldn't have to work. That only work that they would need to do is serving before the Lord. So he's spending tons of time at the tabernacle. He's offering sacrifices every single day. Of course this guy's close to God. Right? He's got nothing better to do. That's all he's doing. Of course he was. He's standing no more than a few feet away from the ark of God. Of course he's close to God. Let's pick up in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's a good start, right? He's acknowledging the things that are true, things that are spiritual. God is good to Israel. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Let's stop there for a moment. So he starts off the psalm really spiritual-like, right? Kind of like a good sermon. You start off spiritual. And, and then he goes, but that's not where I'm at. Yeah, God is really good to all of his people, but I'm not there. Matter of fact, I'm barely hanging on for dear life. My feet have almost slipped I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm not even near this right now. And I have this picture of him, this priest, this guy that's serving at the tabernacle of the Lord. I have this picture of him writing this psalm as he's sitting at the doorway to the tabernacle. He's got the, the ark of God, the presence of God, no more than a few feet behind him. He's looking out at the rest of the city and he's writing this psalm. He's saying, look, I know God is good to his people, but I feel like I'm about to lose it. And look at what he says. He says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he's looking out at the rest of Israel, the people that aren't, that aren't walking with God. And he says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not even plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain. Actually, we'll stop there for a moment. So you want to talk about what happens when you and I aren't close to God? This is it. This guy, what he's doing in in his struggle in his relationship with God, he's looking out at the rest of the world and he's going, their life is way better than mine. Look at everything that they get to have. When we don't have the perspective of God, this is how our perspective starts to shift. Everybody that's not walking with God has it so much better than me. I mean, look at, look at them. They don't even get sick like I do. They're just, they're just loving life and everything is going their way. Right? They get, they get to say whatever they want. They just keep, they just keep just piling money on and everything just, their life is just great and mine stinks. You ever felt like that? 
Yeah, all of you should be nodding your head. Stop being prideful, okay? Every single one of us has felt like that, right? You look around you and everybody else's life is better. When you're not close to God, stay away from social media, right? Because what's on social media outside of angry political posts? It's mostly all the great things that are going on in everybody's life, right? Social media looks like this, and this is what you see. For some reason, everybody's on vacation. Why are so many people on vacation always? And half the time, it's exactly the vacation I've always wanted to be on. We have these, we have these friends that are about our age that seems like they maybe work for like three months of the year, and then nine months of the year, they're on vacation. All right? It's ridiculous. You know, or you get, you get the pictures of the people that finished their first half marathon or their first Spartan race. Yeah, that's the handsome guy in the middle right there. Uh, but yeah, they get a lot of people, right? They're, they're, they're achieving some personal achievement, something they've always wanted to do or push themselves that you feel like there's no way I have time to do that. You know, or you feel like everybody's getting married. These are some good friends of ours. This is the prices. They just got married this last weekend. Um, but you can feel like, man, when I'm not close to God, it just seems like everybody's, everybody's life is heading in a good direction. Everybody's dating. Everybody's getting married. Everybody's having kids. Everything's just going their way, and I'm alone at home. <laughs> the ones that are being quiet are denying it. <laughs> you know? Or everybody's getting a new car. Or, or they're buying their first house. Or they're getting some awesome new outfit. <laughs> if you don't recognize this, this is actually your brother in Christ. This is Josh Strouder. He's out in Salt Lake City. He's a musician and uh, a model. And as you can see, he fits the, the hipster fashion trend very well. He's got the waxed mustache and everything. Half of his clothes I could care less about, but I saw this suit and I was like, dang. That is a dope suit. <laughs> you know? Right? Everybody's getting new outfits. Everybody's getting new things. And I'm broke. And all of you are laughing because all of you have felt this. When we are not close to God, this is all social media is. It's everything you don't have and everything you want. And without God, that can lead to some pretty scary places. This guy is struggling. I mean, even they, he's saying their mouths lay claim to heaven. It says they, they even seem to be able to get what you're going to give. And he even takes it a step further. Let's pick back up in Psalm 73. In verse 13, it says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Let's stop there for a minute. Where he got to in his heart is everything I'm doing to try to be spiritual is a waste. For nothing. 
Here I am trying to say no to all the things I know that are going to hurt me, that are bad. I'm trying to say yes to all the good things that God wants me to do. And all these people, they don't even care about that. Why am I doing this? Matter of fact, in verse 16, when he says this, he says, man, when I tried to understand this, it was deeply troubling. The, the older NIV used to say it's, it's oppressive to me. Because you know, when, when you and I don't have the eyes of God, it's hard to make sense of this world. It's hard to feel like life is fair. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen this, but uh, Netflix has a docuseries called Greed. And uh, it's all about either different individuals or, like, companies or whatever that, that, like, are involved in all kinds of crazy stuff. I watched a couple, of, a couple episodes of it because it was interesting to me. And then I realized this is so depressing. I have to stop watching this. Because it's all about these people that just, seem, they just kind of get whatever they want. They're taking advantage of all these, these people in desperate situations sometimes. You know, there's one of, about the pharmaceutical companies and the one guy that jacked the, the um, what was it? Was it, HIV, was it the HIV drug? Something like that. It was some, the, the EpiPen one, but this is a different one. It was the guy that's in jail now, Martin Screlly. I can't remember what it was for. It was some kind of like AIDS or HIV. It was this really, really nice drug, and he jacked it up like 350% markup. It was ridiculous. But you can't watch it. Without God, you can't look at that and feel good about the world. You look at that and just go, man, it's just, what's the point? Why try? This is what happens to our hearts when we don't walk with God. And I want to be honest here. Um, part of what I think God led me to, to look at this in myself was because I was in this place at the end of last year. I was in a place where I felt like I was, you know, Kelsey and I were having talks because of some where our money was situation was at and trying to figure out what was Christmas going to look like. And, you know, like, you know what? I'm not going to take any gifts this year. Let's just, you know, we'll get one for the kids and then we'll just kind of call it. And I started to feel super insecure and, man, I'm not going to, I'm not providing for my family. I started going to a place where, like, man, if I was doing any other job than this, I would be better. I'd be in a different financial place. And, you know, and I'm, again, I'm, you got to stay off social media. But, <laughs> but then I'm looking at some of my friends that are, that are in the world, and I'm just like, man, they just seem to have it all. And it's really hard and it's embarrassing for me to admit this. Because I am really grateful for my life. And I know, kind of like you said at the beginning, like, I know God is good to Israel. Like, I, I know that intellectually. Where I was at was really, and it was because I wasn't close to God. But I started wondering, man, is this worth it? I actually had somebody even, even tell me, like I was, just, I was getting open about some things I was feeling. I had sent a letter out to a couple brothers just to try to help me with, you know, just writing about some of the things about where I was at and the sin that I had been in and what I was feeling. And one of the brothers, you know, told me later on, he said, you know, I want you to feel like you don't have to be in this, in this job. You don't have to be in this role to be pleasing to God. 
And, stepped, and, I, and in one sense, I was really grateful for that. But in another sense, I stepped away from that going, man, what am I missing? What am I missing? But then some things started to change. Just like we're about to read here in verse 17. Verse 16, it says again, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Something clicked. Something clicked with this guy, this priest, this guy that's doing the Lord's work, but yet is feeling like he wants to leave it all behind. Like, I have this picture of him just wanting to, like, strip off his priestly robes and just drop them at the tent and just leave into the, into the city. But then it says he entered the sanctuary of God. And, you know, we, we don't really know what this means when he says this. I entered the sanctuary of God. I looked it up. Because this, this scripture has bugged me over the years. I looked up probably about half a dozen to a dozen commentaries trying to figure this out. And really, there's not a uniformity as to what they think he means by this. Some people suggest that, you know, maybe he, when he went into the inner sanctuary and he got close to God physically by the ark again, that that was when it started to make more sense and he just got reminded of things. But really, a lot of people were saying a lot of different things. And something started to, started to sink in with this with me. There's something that I think that uh, with this. I think this is vague on purpose. I think it's, it's purposeful that he doesn't say, you know what, I spent two hours with the Old Testament scrolls, sitting down, reading through Leviticus, reading through Exodus, and now it finally makes sense. Or, you know, I spent, I spent a week in fasting and, and, and hours in, in, in prayer with God, and then it makes sense. I think there's a reason why it doesn't tell us what entered the sanctuary means. Because it, it, it could have meant the physical presence. But this guy had been serving in the physical presence of God for a while, and that wasn't seeming to change him. It's kind of like that whole idea that we talk about several times, that you can come to church every single Sunday and not be any closer to God. You can be here in this sanctuary, in a place where Jesus says, I am residing where two or more of you are gathered, and still not be in the sanctuary of God. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, said the sanctuary must be the resort of a tempted soul. Must be something that was going on internally when he did something different. And it could have been a number of things. It's interesting to think about. When I think about the Old Testament heroes that I respect, I could totally see. Maybe it was, he said, man, I'm in trouble. I've got to fast right now because if I don't fast, I'm not going to make it. Maybe he went up to a special place. He went up to, to a spot on a hillside where he could see all the land and just connect with God up in elevation. And, you know, that can do it for me sometimes. I don't know what it was. But he did something. And when he did, he said, then I understood. Then it started to make more sense. Let's keep reading here. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. He basically is saying, look, all this stuff that I thought I wanted, I realize it's a waste. 
This is empty. The cars are going to break down. They're going to have to get new ones. You know, you're going to die and you can't take any of this stuff with you. It's a waste. I was sweating all this stuff for nothing. Let's keep reading. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You ever feel like that? Hindsight 2020, looking back and just going, I'm an idiot. I'm a big idiot. Man, I, I, thought I, I thought it all made sense in the time when my heart was feeling all this different stuff and I was so frustrated and then I realized, you're just a moron. This stuff doesn't mean anything. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. I want to stop there for a moment. It's almost like he's saying, you know what, even though I was an idiot, thank God that you still wanted to be with me. The most amazing thing about the love of God is that in spite of our wandering eyes, the sin of our hearts, God still loves you. And as the psalmist writes here, he says, wants to take you by your right hand. To pull you in and walk with you. When I choose to enter the sanctuary of God, I get to see that he is above my temptations. He's above my unfaithfulness. And he's right there waiting for me. And you've got to love, verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. I might be falling apart on every single level of significance in my life, but God will give me everything I need. Let's finish this up. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. He closes this by stating, I know what happens when I'm far from you. I know what's going to happen to those people that just keep on thinking that life is just going to go their way, but not give their heart and their time to God. but I know what I'm choosing. I want to put this, this scripture, this last verse here up on the screen again. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. After being in the sanctuary of God and being with him, it's like he just takes a deep breath. Man, it's good to be near God. Once I'm near him, it's good to be near him. When you're truly loving God and enjoying your relationship with him, or maybe even in a time of desperation and where you know how much you need close, to be close to God to just survive, there can still be this sense of, 
It's good to be here, God. But I want to clarify something with this, though, too. This is not a purely emotional experience or something that just mystically happens to you for no reason. Asaph writes here, he says, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. When he says this, he's saying this is intentional. This isn't something that just I woke up one day and it got better. Say, I chose to enter the sanctuary of God. I realized that I have a choice to make about making God my refuge. This is taking the time to be deliberate and being in communion with God. And at the very end of this, he even says, man, after all this, I will tell of all your deeds. Just like Jesus mentioned in the, in the two great commandments. He said, man, when you're near God, you want to tell others about him. When you're really walking with God, when you're really enjoying being close to God... That's not something you keep to yourself. You want people to know him. You see the desperation in people's lives and it makes you want to say something. But there's a question we've got to wrestle with in this. When was the last time you entered the sanctuary of God? When was the last time you really enjoyed being in the presence of of God. Or maybe even a follow-up question to maybe some of you in here is, have you ever? Have you ever truly been in, this, been in the sanctuary of God? And I want to clarify again, that's not some great service where you heard some song and it made you weep and you got really cryy and all that different stuff. That's not the sanctuary of God. That's emotional alchemy. That's stuff where you wipe the tears, you wake up the next day and nothing happens. This guy said, when I entered the sanctuary of God, I understood Something changed. It wasn't emotional. It wasn't something that just happened. It was something where I got close to God and I started to see things His way. When was that last time for you? The difficult thing in this was when I was asking my, started asking myself these questions, I couldn't really give an answer. Now that's okay to be honest about. It's not a judgment thing. But the question then becomes, what are you going to do about that? You know, I was going to share a bunch of practical. I had an idea of like, these are some great things that might help people and connecting with God. But I realized I would rather do what the psalmist does here. I would rather leave the sanctuary of God being whatever that's got to be for you. I don't want to tell you what that's going to look like. I don't want to tell you how many hours in the Bible, prayer, what, what, I don't want to tell you that. If you need help, if you don't know what that's got to look like for you, then, then please talk to someone. Ask for help. I'd be happy to share with you what, I, what, what I've done in the past. I'd be happy to share with you what I'm doing now. But you've got to wrestle with that, especially if you're a disciple of Jesus. You've got to wrestle with what the sanctuary of God has got to mean to you. We're going to take communion together in just a moment. And I want to close with this scripture. In 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The wording that Peter brings up here is, I think, important. I think even significant when we consider what we just read. 
Jesus died as a righteous man for you and I as brute beasts. And the wording that he uses here is to bring you to God. There's this imagery of Jesus coming out of the tomb after the cross, after everything he's experienced, grabbing us by our right hand as the psalmist writes in Psalm 73 and saying, I'm going to lead you into the sanctuary of God. If you're with me, if you're near me, I will take you into the sanctuary of God. He will not make us. Whether you've never been interested in a relationship with God before, maybe even there's just your, your view of God, maybe you've got a vendetta that you feel like God owes you. Or if you've been a disciple for years and years, He's still not going to make you. You've got to choose to enter the sanctuary of God. We're going to take a few minutes here to take communion together. And if you need to just pray and apologize, do that. If you want to ask God to help you where you're at, because you don't know if you've been in the sanctuary of God for a while, do that. If you want to just sit quietly, just try to listen, do that. We're going to take a few minutes just for you to try to practice being in the sanctuary of God. So I'm going to bow, we're going to bow our heads in a word of prayer here, and we're going to take communion together. Father, thank you. Thank you for looking past us, for not leaving us as brute beasts, but being willing to, to pay the ultimate price of dying for us so that we could be near you. And God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for me. I'm sorry for how I resist. I'm sorry for how I lose sight and I get caught up in my own self. God, I pray that in the middle of us talking about all the things about serving the poor and the needy, God, I don't want it to get lost that the greatest love, the greater love that we can really learn is how to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I pray that at the end of this year, it will be evident that these men and women will have loved you more than they did last year. I pray right now for us as, as we take communion with you, that we know that Jesus has died so that we could be in communion, to be close, to, to, to spend time with you, to be near you, God. And I pray that we will not take this in vain right now, but that we will meditate, that we will take time, whatever, whatever is needed here, and that this, this maybe will even be the beginning of what comes next. God, that the sanctuary of God could start with communion right now. But I want to lift this time up to you, Father. Thank you. And in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.